Hello, horror fans. Welcome to That Reminds Me Of. This episode, we are talking about The Haunting of Bly Manor. This is the show where we uh, talk about new release films and TV, in this case TV, and then we dive into the films and TV and books and all that stuff that we're reminded of. Uh, just a warning, it's spoiler heavy, so if you if that bothers you, go and watch the show. Otherwise, listen on. This is our first episode, really, that is about TV, isn't it, Baron? TV series. Yeah, that's right. It's not something that we've done yet. So, um, and and the last few episodes has been a bunch of these just new things for us that we're trying. We are intrepid explorers. <laughs> that's and right. This is our latest one into the horror genre, which is close to your heart. Absolutely. And I think we both loved the first season from Mike Flanagan. Director, creator Mike Flanagan made The Haunting of Hill House first, last year, on Netflix. And we both were raving about how great a show that was. So when when The Haunting of Bly Manor, the second series in the anthology thingo that he's doing, came up, it was like a no-brainer. We, we have to see it. Yeah, so excited. I was... I, I loved Haunting of Hill House. What I didn't know much about was Mike Flanagan him, himself and the rest of his work. But I'm guessing... We haven't discussed this, but I'm guessing you would be quite familiar with his work being a horror aficionado. I am. I've been watching his journey for a little while. Uh, and I think it started off with the fact that he's he's uh, adapted a couple Stephen King stories. And I'm ah. a big Stephen King fan. So I was intrigued from the get-go. And I think the film that I heard about first was Gerald's Game, which is a really nasty, twisted book from Stephen King, mm. uh, and he did it. He did the adaptation of that, uh, which appeared on Netflix as well. And uh, I've seen it. Uh, I think it's got some issues as a film, uh, but I think since then I've been watching him and when saw some of the films before that as well. And I, what I really respect is that this is a guy that's going after horror in a big way. And he's trying a lot of different things. He's not just rolling out the um, sort of standard mm. Blumhouse horror films. He's kind of thinking about what he wants to do next. And The Haunting of Hill House is a perfect example of that. And and he's not just starting at horror and then maturing into real film. He's he's maturing in his in his lane, isn't he? Absolutely. That's right. Which is a thing you hear about, isn't it? You know, people start with horror because mm. you can do a low-budget horror film and everyone yep. loves... Well, a lot of filmmakers love love the genre for the kind of low budget, get it, mm. just get it made aspect of it. Um, but you know, he's not one of those guys. He's he's horror through and through. Well, we've got so much to co cover, so let's just jump into synopsis and get that out of the way, and then just start talking about this this thing, this nine episode <laughs> extravaganza. Absolutely, um, <laughs> and it's your turn, Doc. So you can take it away. The Haunting of Bly Manor uh, starts with a young woman, Danny. Uh, she she gets a, a job as an au pair or a governess um, of these two orphan children in a grand stately country estate, uh, Bly Manor. And she goes there and we know it's, it's a ghost story from the start, really. All strange manner of things start happening at this house. They're seeing the usual ghosts everywhere. There are a cast of characters at the house, a gardener, a cook, a governess, they're all having weird ghosty 
experiences, memory kind of experiences. But the main two, perhaps, are a guy called Peter Qu- Peter Quint and the old governess, uh, Rebecca Jessel. That's right. Yes, Rebecca Jessel. Jessel. Those two characters, uh, we, we in a series of flashbacks, we see that they had a bit of an affair, ended up both dying and are uh, the main ones perhaps haunting the house. And the specific way they're haunting it is by getting into the, the little kids' bodies. It's a young boy and a young girl. So they're, the, the little kids are, are kind of the vehicle for this haunting. So that's one big reveal. But then we go back in time and, and go into the, the whole history of how the house got haunted in the first place. And then we we end in a typical kind of... <laughs> I don't know if it's typical. Let's not even talk about the ending. We'll get to the ending. But is that a setup that you can maybe expand on? Yeah, no, that is that is really good. Um, so I think compared to the haunting on Hill of Hill House... We are now in the UK as opposed to um, mm. to the US, but they've for some reason kept an American lead as sort of our, she's the, the au pair you're talking about. Um, the cast is made up of some old familiars from The Haunting of Hill House, plus some new characters or new actors, a little bit like the American horror story style of doing these anthology series, you'll see the same actors in different roles and that's part of the fun of it, I suppose. Mm. Um, except I would say maybe one difference is that I think the actors that Mike Flanagan has taken from the first season through to the second are perhaps the weakest of all of the actors that <laughs> he had the choice of bringing forward with him. Maybe they're his friends, I don't know. Um, mm. Like you've got the boy who's the kid in E.T., sorry, the man who was the boy in E.T. Um, is the same he was the dad in the haunting of hill house and now he's the estranged uncle Mm. who won't go to the house and um, is basically putting all the money into looking after these two kids and really the manor is just a way to look after two these two children isn't it like the whole thing with all the help is set up just for the two kids yeah it is it's it's peculiar um and and his character was peculiar uh very it it threw me off so i'm not sure if that was a good or a bad thing but just the simple fact that the the kid from ET was in both um, series, and because he was that, you know, the patriarch figure in both, mm. and then then you had him mirrored by um, Carla Gugino. Is that how you? Yes. Yeah. Um, who was the wife in the first season? Who was the wife in the first one? Yeah. So that made me think from the outset that there was some significance to that, and that we there really was a through line between the two. Ah. Um, yes. Interesting. And it took took quite a quite a while for me to shake that and maybe that's a good red herring herring in a way but maybe it's sort of an unnecessary one so there's so many of those little things that i want to talk Mm. about those details and some of them we've already alluded to a little bit but before we do i just want to know doc what did you think like overall compared to the haunting of hill house which i've already said we both loved what was Mm. your feeling about the haunting of bly manor how did it stand up to you uh, overall, uh, n- nowhere near as well as Hill House. That's the, the start. Um, however, I thought it was um, had several really great high points. Uh, so it, it took me on a... Like there were different directors and writers through the series and I thought that was quite uh, sort of apparent and I just liked some, some of it a lot more than, than others. You? That's a great point. Uh, yes, yeah, so I... I was 
bitterly disappointed with this season compared to... Oh, bitterly? Yes, okay. I, I was really annoyed by it. Um, not, mm. Annoyed's the wrong word. I just, I just came in with such high expectations. Uh, and this season let me down in so many ways. Uh, but that being said, like you're saying, mm. there were two standout episodes for me. And there were a couple moments in particular... Uh, that I'd loved. I thought were really clever ideas and I thought they were handled really well. And then other episodes just shat me to tears. I just, I could barely get through them. So mm. it was a real mixed bag for me. And I felt like, I've, I've, I think I've diagnosed a couple of the reasons why I think it falls a little flat. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into that with you. Yes. Wow. Yeah. We, we've got exactly the same take on it all. And it'll be just be interesting to see if our um, pros and cons are the same. Okay, so let's just step back for a second. Mm. My cat's just doing the cat thing again, just making noise all over the place. Just ignore I'm that. I'm thrilled that it's your cat and oh not mine, God. so she'll start soon, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's step back for a second because I just want to go back to the very beginning of this show, and it's the bookend of, of this season. It starts yes. off with uh, Carla Gugino. I'm probably saying that horribly wrong, but anyway. Uh, yeah. Well, you said it one way, I said it another. So yes. between us, we'll get it right. <laughs> yeah. Um, the mother from Hill House, and, and now she's, we discover at the very end, which is almost impossible to tell by looking at her, that she's actually the gardener that you've mm. met, met in the season um, and come to kind of love. Like, I, that's one of the characters that I sort of appreciated. Um, I agree. And then, so, and she's telling this whole story and she's doing it for some reason at the wedding. This is another spoiler for everyone. Um, mm -hmm. At the wedding of little Flora from the show, who's now grown up and is getting married. And for some reason, she's decided to tell a nine hour ghost story at a wedding the night before, <laughs> the night before, um, to this crowd of people, uh, who a couple of them, at least three of them, were part of the actual story and have somehow forgotten about it, or at least the kids mm. have. And there's just a bizarre. I I just found that that sort of that setup and the the voiceover just to be a really bizarre setup. And mm. didn't love any of that. I, you know, and I don't think it really added a lot. I would have actually much preferred to just be dropped in 1987 in mm. the English countryside with a American au pair driving up to for her the first day of a new job. Well, I think that's inherited from the the book, yeah, which is um, Turn of the Screw by um, Henry James. So that the device of, um, you know putting it within the narrative of telling a, a ghost story, which is an oft-used device, I suppose, isn't it, in in this type of genre? Yes. Um, but but I agree, it, it didn't quite work. And particularly, particularly at the end, I, I was unconvinced as to whether they really are the same people. It seems so implausible that they would be the same crowd that I just couldn't really believe it. I took it as, I don't know how I took it. It kind of spoiled the season to me, that last episode. It was it was the final straw for me. Like that, mm. when that happened and then they did this weird, you know, the thing where you show a room full of people and then one at a time you sort of flash over them with their younger version of themselves holding mm. the same glass and smiling the same way, you know, and then you cut back yep. to them. You go, oh, okay, that's who that person oh, is. Oh, that's, that's who he is, yeah. Oh, God, it was just that for me was awful. I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't take it, you know. Um, 
and it felt so unnecessary. And also, like for one, the the sort of Indian English gent who who plays Owen mm. looks the young version of him. He's he's maybe late thirties, forty. The this the supposedly. 20 year later version of him is maybe like 45 and they look nothing like like nothing, <laughs> nothing like. like it just blew my mind like why wouldn't you just age that guy up you know just put a bit of makeup on him to make him look like he's 10 years older and there you go you're good well i the answer to that is because then it gives gives it away right, from, the start, from the start but yeah. but still the point is valid that why not get someone who could conceivably be the same same guy <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah well, have we started with the worst part or do you, do you have other little um, awful okay. Easter eggs packed in there? I, I, I have some more. Now, I'm just going to jump in with why I think the show doesn't work. It's, I'm just going to mm. do it because um, w- what I think doesn't work about the show, let's put it the right way. Yes. So, so that aside, that was an awful little detail for me. But um, what I really found to be an issue was that it spends the first four episodes of a nine-part season basically with with backstory and the promise mm. of scares to come however there are no scares like there it it really just it, it just drags its feet and and it it dives straight into the melodrama and the backstory of these characters and every episode one after the other is just more of the same and mm. you're waiting for what was given to you in the first season like right up front you know just really scary moments and high stakes right from the beginning, you know? And I just think where this season went wrong compared to the first season is that they could have brought some of the the action and the scares and the, the, the threat forward and had that peppered throughout episodes one, two, three, four, rather than making you wait so long for the horror to really kick in. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, times a hundred. I would have. I, I, I'd only say that I would have lived with it in that first half because I was with it for the first half of the the season for the most part. Uh, had it paid off, because you you really felt like you were investing, didn't you? And and but yes. you did feel like it was going to pay off, and it didn't. It like the the complete opposite. Like the air got taken out of it in the last half yeah it didn't get it and you know what infuriated me was that there was this great concept of a dollhouse where you could see all of the ghosts Mm. in this house like the little girl had made a little doll for each of them and sometimes they would move and you knew that that meant the ghosts were on the move or that something was going on in the house but no it meant nothing at all (laughs) (laughs) It's it's the twist yeah Right, it never goes anywhere, and then also, like that doctor, for instance. There's a there's a doctor character mm. that's like a plague doctor with the full mask and the long nose, those that great costume, and yeah. you see a little bit of him in like episode one or two. Like you just catch him corner of frame, and yet nothing happens with that character. And like there's little hints in the dollhouse, mm. like there's a child in the in the in the attic and there's you know this sort of straw looking man and you know you think oh all these ghosts are going to pop out at different times and you know you're gonna, it's going to be filled with those great scenes that you got mm. in the first season where like one of the little girl girls or little boy is walking down the hallway and suddenly something creepy comes down from around the corner you know like but none of that actually happened that yeah. kind of blew my mind it was all there all the setup was there yeah and and like the the coronavirus doctor um he <laughs> He could have 
he could have been on posters as the, the you know the scream or the um the it yeah you know like it's it's an iconic cool thing and when when he came back and we saw how he died i didn't even remember him yeah so i didn't even know so that could have been a payoff right there but i didn't even remember the fact that he existed and his death was so sort of inconsequential and just sort of matter of fact sad and by the mm. off to the side you know like not really part of the story could i ask you a question so yes. going into a series like this you're obviously looking forward to it and you're obviously looking forward to the um uh the the horror the the, the screams the blood and guts maybe because that's that's the kind of twisted sicko you are <laughs> but how, how do you approach it like do you do you try and work out the mystery as you're going like are you uh focused on that or are you just going along for the ride bit of both i can't help myself i'm looking out for the telltale signs of what i expect a horror show or film to have mm. and it, it those signs give me a sense of confidence that we're gonna it's gonna be a good ride right like when i see them i'm like oh yeah there you go that's gonna pay <laughs> off later that's gonna be good um yeah. and if i start seeing that they're not happening then i start getting worried you know um and then I start to lose confidence in the whole show. So for me, it's, yeah, there's, there's a couple things. There's the mystery, what mm. the unique twist is going to be on this particular version of the haunted house story um, mm. or the monster in the house, you know, theme that you get so often. Um, and then whether or not the filmmakers nailing things like, is the vibe of it all right? Mm. Are we claustrophobic and close enough and tight enough and just worried about what's around every corner? Is the house the sort of place that I could imagine this all unraveling? You know, like all those details are kind of what I love about these about these shows. Mm. Uh, did you have theories about it? Like I know I that that's the way I approach these things. I'm always just trying to work the bloody thing out and get inside their head rather than caring about the. I don't really care so much. I'm just trying to outwit them somehow. I don't know what that says about me. Uh, <laughs> That's funny. But I, I had, I was having theories all, all along, and some were right, some were wrong. But did you, yeah. did you know where it was going in the early days? I think I did. Um, so I think I had a pretty good idea where it was heading. I could, I picked the lady in the lake from a mile away. The second they showed the lake, actually, <laughs> um, I didn't pick. Uh, like I knew there was going to be something with the well early on. Yeah. Um, but I didn't pick exactly what that was. And I thought that was a really, actually a nice little story twist that was fun. Mm. Um, the kids I expected were going to be more like the, they would be the main people that we were worried about the whole way through. And I don't know mm. if that's really the case. Like, I think, I think it ended up being that you were supposed to be a bit, bit more worried for the au pair. And yet she sort of was so unlikable in so many ways that I don't think that quite landed the way it was intended. Uh, I, I had a much stronger feeling towards uh, Flora, the little girl, than than the au pair, and their stories don't quite work out the way you expect they are either. So some of the stuff I picked and some of it was was a ple pleasant surprise. I think what got to me the most is you've already mm. kind of pointed it out, is that this is from an older novel. I don't know how old it is. I've got a feeling uh, it's quite I old. I think it's the 1800s. Yeah, it I'll, feels I'll like say. it. Because there's a real quaintness to the way this this story is told. It doesn't have the edginess that that you get in the first season, and even from things like the voiceover um, and the sort of the it was a great good place stuff that you get about forty thousand times throughout the whole show, and um, you know 
even to the way it was shot, like th there's there's a sort of old fashioned haunted house gothic horror vibe about it that I I thought is a little outdated. Didn't quite work. But then with all that memory jumping, what do they call it? Was it memory jumping? That almost seemed like Inception or The Matrix all of a sudden. So yeah. it was a real, in a way, it was a real modern twist and I, I kind of liked it, but it did jar a bit too. It sounded like it was just an insertion into a, um, a modern insertion into an old thing. Totally. So I, let's just talk about that for a moment. So one of my favorite episodes, I know we're jumping around a little bit here, but one of my well, favorite- That's in keeping. <laughs> that's the, just what we do, right? No, in keeping with the, <laughs> oh, with the, the show. With the show. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite episodes was episode five, and that is the episode where Hannah, the gardener, we get her yes. backstory and we discover how she died. And um, the thing- no, Hang on. Hannah, the- um, Not gardener. Sorry, did I say gardener? The, the go governess. The governess, that's no, right. No, no. Is she the governess? <laughs> I, I don't know. She's housekeeper? like the housekeeper. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Whatever they call the, the housekeeper in those days. Um, yeah, yeah. So, but she's- she, Two things. She's a great actress. She was in Years and Years that I saw recently, which was a fantastic show. She's a great actress. She does a, gr a great job with this with her role, even though I think she's got a tough gig there because mm. playing someone who's always sort of in a almost like a dementia state is is tough, right? There's a great twist, as you were saying, to the story where suddenly uh, we discover that when she's having these little kind of zone out moments, she's actually skipping off to a different memory from a different time completely. Mm. Um, and it's because at the very beginning of the season, episode one, when the au pair arrives and Hannah's looking down the well, that's actually moments after she's died by being pushed into the well. Mm. And so everything that happens after that is just her sort of reliving parts of her past and then jumping back to the present. And, and it all happens just randomly seemingly. Um, I just mm. thought I, I bought in entirely into that episode. And I think by that point, I was so tired of everything else that had happened that that was just such a fresh breath of fresh air for me. I wasn't as tired by that point. I was enjoying it. Uh, but that episode was just killer. It was but the standout to me as well. I, I and, and I can almost pinpoint the the moment. And that's when um, she was in a memory with Owen, the, the cook. Yes. Uh, and... The line was something like, haven't we done this before? It was beautiful. And I just, I jumped up and down. I was, I just, I loved it. I thought, okay, this is, this is that little that missing ingredient. And I also liked when it was revealed when they do sort of fall back into memories, they're kind of being inhabited by someone else. Yeah. So although, I wasn't sure. Maybe with that's her story. Not, yeah. Because mm. with the kids, that's definitely what's happening. That she, mm. they're, they're being possessed and they're getting tucked away, as as little Flora says, which I think is a, is a cool idea. Mm. Tucked away into a memory while they're being possessed. With her, I'm not sure exactly why she's jumping mm. around, other than I get this feeling that when people die, they slowly start to lose who they are at the at the manor. And for her, it seems to be happening quite quickly. Yeah, and this is where the this is where the logic of the whole thing breaks down for me, I guess. Because even though I just sounded like I thought I got it then, I I didn't. And as as it goes on, you're seeing that people like can can they be seen or mm. not? You know these dead people. 
They, and if they can be seen, you should walk into the... Danny should have walked in and it should have just been like a party of ghosts that she just sees there in front of her. Great point. Like why... Are they some? Why are some ghosts sort of just visible to everyone all the time and others not? Mm. That's a great point. Yeah, never really explained. That that moment that you're talking about with Owen, mm. and where he first says, "Haven't we done this before?" or she does, whichever way mm. it goes, it was brilliant. I just thought that was that was so great, and it gave me some some hope. It sort of yeah. that the season was going to take a new direction. And it doesn't really. It sort of does for that episode and then it sort of veers back onto its original trajectory after that. It was like the moment in I think it's Lost Highway by David Lynch where the the guy says, I'm in your house or something like that. Do you remember I that? I can't remember that. <laughs> I, I know I've seen it, but it's been a long time. I might be getting it wrong, but um, but a, a memorable moment for me. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, it was it was so good. Um, any, were there any other, I mean, I've got another one, but were there any other great sort of standout moments for you in the season? Uh, I thought in general, the kids were really compelling to watch. Uh, I thought their performances were, were great throughout and subtle when they gave that, that storytelling moment where they came down the stairs and Miles in particular was telling a story about being controlled by puppets or I can't remember what it was, but. Uh, they're great little actors and they, they, are, they, they carried a lot of the film for me. They had the, to the series. Too. They mm. had to as well. Like, could you, could you imagine the stress of casting this film? You got to go mm. to England. So you, you're Mike Flanagan, you're an American actor. You've kind of got your, I mean, director, you've got your sort of cast of people that you use a bit. Now you got to mm. go to England and you got to find some English actors and in particular, two kids, a boy and a girl. And one of them's got to be around eight and the other one's got to be around sort of 11 or so mm. and they have to be able to pull off this where they're not only playing themselves and and their own characters but particularly miles the boy is also playing a yeah. he's playing the possessor at the same time who's a totally different character and has this sort of nasty edge to him i i totally agree i think the both of them did those, those kids are were just great yeah. Mm. But can I just say one thing about the actors, yes. though, in general, just a broad statement. The English actors in this show ran circles around the American actors in this show. Completely I'd... agree. And it really showed up. Well, that's probably because, and you alluded to it, they, they would have cast for those actors and they would have had a, a, an idea of what they wanted and picked someone who could embody it after an audition process, no doubt. Um and the the other ones were relics from the the first season, which was great, but they just threw them in, and I didn't think any of them really worked well, even from a, a look and feel <laughs> or uh, perspective. Um, I think the guy I, I should know his name. I was just blanking on it. The guy who's the kid from ET is a strange looking dude, like Henry, I, Henry Thomas. Henry Thomas. Everything I've seen him in, I remember mm. think, thinking exactly the same thing in uh, season one, mm. uh, and in Gerald's game i think he was yeah he, he played like the dad in gerald's game as well he, he, yeah he's just a he's just a weird looking dude and I, he's just there's something creepy about him which is maybe one of the reasons why mike flanagan likes him but it doesn't mm. he's not creepy in the right way like he's creepy in like a way of i'm a little put off by his performance and i don't really know <laughs> right. why you know <laughs> yeah i felt that all through the first first um season of uh, uh hill house and and then it, it came with me in this as well. But I in, in the first season, I think I liked it that he was weird. 
And in this one, when you put the accent on top of it, that was an odd accent he was giving. Very. Um, it, it, it's like he decided that the way to do that sort of posh English accent accent was to say everything in half speed as well like <laughs> he was right. everything was super drawn out and slow can we talk about just just briefly about his character though so let's let's forget about the performance <laughs> yeah and i felt that that was leading somewhere you had his character was quite mysterious uh and suddenly he had a double on his shoulder like a, a little demon that was you know his evil self or something yes uh, you wondered is that a ghost is he a, is he dead or alive uh he then essentially dies at the end and comes back but there's none of it made any sense none of it had any point no that storyline had no point or made and made no sense it had nothing to do with the logic of the rest of the world he has really very little connection to the house and the kids itself. For some reason, his brother is able to sort of meet him at the office, suggest to him that he's got an evil little spirit inside of him, and the guy that's enough that suggestion is enough to make the the <laughs> evil spirit appear. And that's it. It's got nothing else to do with whether or not he died at at Bly Manor or the mm. curse of the Lady of the Lake. Like it really has nothing to do with any of the rest of it. No, it's not even worth spending any more time on, to be honest. Mm. Given there's so much happening. Yeah. Uh, similar storyline with Danny, the the housekeeper, and her backstory, including the fiance that died and is haunting her. Did you did you find any relevance or hope in that storyline? Like, did, did you buy into that? Uh, sorry, Danny, the, um, oh, sorry. The, the, au pair. The, the au pair. I thought she was the weakest character of, of them all, actually, mm. in the end. Uh, she was, she was so weak that she kind of reminded me of Shelley Duvall's character from <laughs> The Shining, but in a, not even in a good way. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. Shelley is kind of weak and annoying in that role in a great way in that it sort of gives you a reason to almost barrack for for Jack mm. Torrance at the same time as kind of feeling uncomfortable with the whole thing. Um, yeah. And, and, but, but this character, like she just, oh, she just annoyed me so much and, and she never did anything, you know, right. It's yeah. just, she sort of, I don't know, she could have, yeah. they could have given her a bit more backbone. They could have made her a little more interesting and they could have made her whole story kind of add up to a little more by the end of it, I think. Yeah, I agree. Although that said, it was her story ultimately mm. and especially when you get towards the end when the last episode is all about her yes is it not yeah um maybe before we get to the last episode should we talk about the second last episode i think you and i had already kind of lost it by then uh but then we introduced episode eight and it's a completely different style a new story altogether episode seven ended on quite a cliffhanger Mm, when the yeah. lady in the lake sort of had the au pair by the throat was about yes. to kill her from memory. That's right. And then it was late at night when we were watching it and we just said, no, we've got to watch another one. And <laughs> yes. what happens next? What happens next? And then we get this black and white, you know, episode. What did you make of that? So I will say that episode eight was my second favorite episode of the whole ah, thing. Interesting. Uh, but for, for some reasons... I, I loved it for some reasons, and there's other reasons that I that things in there that that I didn't love. But mm. I thought that what we were doing finally, when we took that turn to black and white, 
and the finally the backstory of the Lady of the Lake, right, is mm. we were getting that quaint gothic horror storytelling through and through. Like they finally went, at, like if we're going to do this, which is pretty much what we were dabbling with the rest mm. of the show, let's just go full full tilt. Let's just do gothic horror storytelling the way it's always been told. It'll be heavy narration. Um, it'll be full of basically the setup of these this young couple with all the promise in the world and um yeah. it'll tell it'll have a love triangle and all that stuff and and uh and a classic curse that's gonna that's gonna come to kind of take this yeah. this this couple down and i i actually really enjoyed all of that i thought it was really fun and you don't see it too often these days so i kind of went for the ride how about you what did you think i thought it was okay I felt like we were going somewhere else and I, I just, I was, I was really, I really loved the characters in the house, like in the present or the, the eighties or whenever it was, you know, the, the gardener, the cook, um, Hannah Gross. I liked that scene and to, to get, when I thought it was coming to this climactic moment to have to slow down, mm. I, I didn't really buy, I found, found it frustrating. I liked the idea of it, but when it went for the full episode, it wore me, wore me out. I found yeah. the narration over, over, overbearing. I, I thought the she slept, she waited, she walked. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. If it was said once or twice, I would have dug it. But yeah. I, I wanted to throw something at the TV by the end of by the end of that. So that's where it starts to fall apart. And I and I think you're right. I think it should have been half an episode, and then brought us back to the to the moment with the hand on the throat and mm. the and Danny's potentially going to die. It went it went too long, but I think I still think the setup and the shift in tone was good. Mm. Maybe not the second last episode, like that's maybe it maybe it came too late in the show, like it uh, cuz I agree, you're getting to a climax of the show mm. here and then it slows everything right down again and basically delivers to you a whole new self-contained horror story. Within itself, that feels like maybe that should have been a couple episodes from the end, or, or interspersed. Mm. You know, like um, you get little snippets of it throughout. I don't know how that would work structurally, but I felt too much at once was just overload when I wasn't in that headspace. Um, but like you, I, I really did enjoy understanding the the backstory and the motivation. And one one thing I liked was that it revealed there wasn't really any true evil in this setup so mm. it wasn't like you know a demon satan or, or something possessing people it was real people with real human motivations and regrets and um that's and a great hang-ups uh so and that and that episode really bore that out that you know you you actually you got inside and this is rare really to really get inside the faceless ghost I agree. I think that is one of the strengths of it, mm. totally, and and very rare. You know, you you almost never get that. Uh, and sometimes people would say, "Well, you don't want to do that." And I think maybe in films, that's mm. usually the case. But I think in a TV show where you've got nine episodes or more to delve into a ghost story, then you kind of expect to get more of the backstory. So, I mean, one of the things that's classic in all these shows is that you get an episode per character almost. That's just almost the formula, mm. right? Um, 
I found that a little bit annoying in this show because, and I think the only reason it was annoying was because we didn't have enough ongoing threat or like like a rise in tension happening across the whole season. Mm. If they just nailed that, got that right, then I think all these little forays off into the other characters would have been totally fine. Yeah, agree. If you'd had a moment like Hannah Gross's where she's in the in the dream uh, every episode, mm. uh, even though that's not a a ghost story one, you know, typically, but something to make you fall off the chair every episode, that would have been enough. That's right. You just need a all, like an oh holy shit moment, like every episode. Mm. You need one or two of those. That that's how these things work. Mm. There are a few good ones. I, I liked the early days when they locked her in the cupboard, locked the governess au pair in the cupboard. Sort yes. of. Yes, I I I agree. I was expecting something. I was expecting just something more to happen. More to in happen. There. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that would have been great. I, I I agree. I think the moment where, um, what's his name, Peter the kind of conniving dude gets his neck snapped just out of nowhere. Like he's halfway through a sentence, I think. And, <laughs> and suddenly the woman in the legs got him by the neck and he's, he's done for. Right. Like, I think that was, that was well done. Yeah. Um, what you else like was the violence? Good? Don't you? I like the violence, more violence, mm. please. I, I really loved, and I picked, I picked what it meant straight away, but I really loved the idea of um, Hannah seeing the little crack in the stone everywhere uh, the uh, stone. You, you you knew what that meant straight away. I did. I kind of guessed once I saw ah. it. I was like, oh, that's where she's she, wherever she's died. She's looking at that thing, you know. So oh, I picked that. But I loved it anyway. Like I thought that's the, that's the sort of great creepy get under mm. your skin horror stuff that that works in these sorts of shows. I, I got a kick out of that when when it was revealed. So I, I had no idea. I was thinking something like there's a um, I thought of the Leonard Cohen song where the lyrics say there's a crack in everything, that's where the light gets in. So I I felt that, you know, that something's cracked and we're going to get a mystery solved. Oh, that's great. Not how cool it it finally got revealed. That was really good. Yeah, I think think her story is one of the strongest. I I really liked her and Owen, that that relationship Mm. I thought was great. I thought that Peter and Miss Jessel, just that storyline, I just didn't feel very much for them at all. It just didn't really work for me. Maybe, and and, then speaking about relationships, towards the end when um, the au pair and the gardener get together and they have that little moment of like, can we escape and have a life? But you know that eventually the lady in the lake is going to resurface. Like, I thought that was that was good. That's classic horror stuff, and it was done well. Yeah. Um, what I didn't like was the in that episode where they, I think it's the last episode. There was a bit where they said, "I know we can't technically get, get technically get married." Sort of dealing with the issue of gay marriage. I so su- I support the issue, but I, to have to have that inserted. Right, just yeah. made made me feel odd. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't want a political message so overtly. Like they've made they've made the point in the in the relationship, and it doesn't need to be spelled out. Doesn't need to be said. You know, you're right. Yeah. Um, so I think I think what I maybe I I admire is that the show was attempting to have heart, and there is a lot of heart in there within mm. the sprinkled throughout the episodes. Um, works in some of the relationships probably doesn't so much in in others but like i i respect that that attempt i think it in season one though like man that just the whole family relationship dynamic was so solid like i just Mm. it there was 
while I was watching this show, I was going, I was sort of struggling with the fact that I'd seen such a great show in The Haunting of Hill House. Same creator had then gone and made this season and I couldn't really line them up aside from it's another haunted house show and there's some of the same actors in there. Mm. I'm not seeing too much of the same creator Aside from some of the, you know, some of the things maybe in, in the first season that bothered me a little bit, just this slightly overly slick camera work and, um, you know, maybe he has a tendency towards melodrama and, and a little bit of a tendency towards making almost like that Blumhouse style of, of horror film that's just a little bit too overly produced. Like it just mm. looks, the, the lighting just looks a little too Hollywood or something, you know, and, and it's got, there's a, just, there's a little bit too much too many filters on the camera, on the on the lens, and you know, just some of that that kind of pulls you out of the horror a little bit. That stuff got worse in season two rather than better. Like it, instead of refining it in a better way, it's almost like the refinement pushed it further into that kind of whatever that is. Hmm. No, I, I I quite liked that in the first season. I thought it it did take you out of the typical horror genre, but in a way that made it more terrifying that you weren't looking like a typical horror film so i liked it but completely agree in this one it they you know just didn't um come together you know after season episode one i started i just i was watching episode one and being and feeling really gross about the cinematography and i was googling while i was watching it going like looking, as you would do in a in a cinema yes yeah, yeah exactly trying to figure out what filters they had used on the camera to make it look like that it's like a days of our lives sort of glow <laughs> glowy glamour filter of some sort that was just so heavy in this season and 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 what came up was the like a, an article from the cinematographer talking about how a look had been established in season one and he was trying to replicate ah. it and and so i was like but no season one didn't look like this so then i went back and looked at season one a little bit afterwards and and like it's there a little bit but it's done mm. tastefully. It's not pushed too far. And in this, it's just too much. Yeah, I, I think it's only the filmmakers that might have picked that up. Okay, <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably. Uh, what else have we got before we go on to that, to, to what it reminds us of? Any any other points? I think I've spoken about everything that I wrote down. No, I haven't either. I, I, I talked about predictions early in the season. I think it was episode two. I said, yeah, they're all dead or something yes. like that. But then I, speci- that's probably not too, too hard, hard to think of. But um, my guess at the time was that the au pair was dead, the cook was dead, and the gardener was dead. And I wrote down that maybe the housekeeper and the kids are alive. So I got it, <laughs> got it all backwards. wrong. I got it all wrong. So the housekeeper was dead and all the others were alive. So oh, I, I love it. I love I it. I thought I was smart picking this yep. trend and just completely stuffed it. Well, that's great. That's great. No, I, I had definitely had a moment of everyone's dead as well a couple mm-hmm. times. Um, I was watching this with Edith and and she so she was not a fan uh, from the, from the start. Oh, and, really? And she kept saying, oh, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to color your thinking about this but i could hear her like sighing next to me <laughs> and, and um from early on yeah from early on she yeah, lost yeah. patience with it really quickly but she stuck through it with me um and uh it's yeah we, a good relationship i know right we and we were we were back and forth on 
after each episode, like, oh, what do you think that means? Who's alive? Who's dead? And there were there were many moments where I was like, I just think they're all dead. Like, what else can be going on here? This is so strange. Mm. Uh, which is good, I think. That's good if you're guessing and second guessing the whole way through. I, I enjoy that, and for mm. that reason, it 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 sort of had me on the journey for a, a little longer than you. What did it remind you of, Baron? So I was reminded of. A few things. Um, obviously, I was reminded of how not like Hill House it is, uh, <laughs> which I've talked about a bit. Um, but let me just, I guess one thing about Mike Flanagan mm. is, because I have so much respect for the filmmaker, I think he's doing a lot, right? But I, I also have noticed with him that he will make a film or a show that I think is great, and then he will mm. make one that I think is not great. And I put that down to experimenting Maybe there's a bit of a taste element there. I don't know. Who who really knows? Um, but I was very much reminded of uh, the the studio Blumhouse. That studio creates a lot of horror films, and there's a real sense of experimenting that goes on with that mm. with that studio. And you'll get a great one every now and again, and then you'll get you'll get some some doozies as well. Uh, so I, I was actually thinking like. You know, I was thinking about Blumhouse uh, quite a bit, and mm. just how some, you know, it can go right and it can go wrong quite easily with with the genre. Yeah, well, that reminds me of Troma, <laughs> Troma films. Yeah, which that's that's a, quite a few rungs below, but uh, how they're all pretty crappy because they're just you know big, usually early career filmmakers, but then occasionally you get one that rocks. <laughs> exactly, and I suppose that's part of that. That's become part of the genre. Um, and I don't think it should be necessarily part of the genre, but it's just the way the cookie crumbles. Any for you? Yeah, not, not heaps. I think you might have more than me on, on this one, but probably a, an obvious one is The Others uh, with Nicole Kidman and co. And it's on my list as well. Okay. Well, that's for the simple reason that the reveal is that they're all dead, basically. Yeah. Uh, so it had, it had a similar vibe of walking around a house in a ghostly state. The Others is a perfect example of a gothic horror film. It's just beautifully done. Mm. Uh, and the ghost story elements are so well handled. The characters are, are just completely rock solid, beautifully acted. So, like, I think if you're going to have one of these, and, and when I think about the perfect version of what one of these looks like, it's pretty much The Others or something, mm. you know, similar to that. I guess in the same vein, I'm just going to talk a couple of big themes, but in the same vein as um, Blumhouse, I was thinking about Stephen King films a little mm. bit. And in recent years, we've had a huge increase in Stephen King films coming out. And Netflix is one of the places where they sort of surface quite a bit. In fact, I've got a friend who's made a Stephen King film that's on oh, Netflix. Wow. So yeah, it's, and it's just, it's just one of those things that's starting to happen. Um, I think as he's getting older, he's accelerating the number of films that he's green lighting or saying, yes, you can go make that. Mm. Um, but you know, some great ones, things like the mist I really liked, um, you know, obviously there's The Shining, which is, you know, a classic, but uh, you also get just some real doozies. And the, every year now you're getting a handful of, of Stephen King films that come out and there'll be one or two solid ones in there and, and then a, like a few few that don't really work as well. Um, but Mike Flanagan's made a couple and uh, it, one of them he made was uh, Doctor Sleep, which is the sequel to The Shining um, which I actually, I actually didn't mind. I thought he did a, he did a decent job. Um, and then on the other hand, there's Gerald's game, which is, which, 
while I kind of enjoyed it because I always have a bit of fun with these mm. films, uh, is just not nowhere near as as good as maybe it could have been. Um, so yeah, I, I was thinking about that the whole way through as well. Yeah, I, I've never read a Stephen King novel, uh, but the stories are just so ripe for the picking, aren't they? And when you've got to to get a movie up traditionally is so difficult, and you can imagine why perhaps there there haven't been so many, even though there's been heaps. But now that we've got this Netflix thing and the streaming and you can serialize them, it's just so perfect. It's like his time to shine. Absolutely. Um, and I should just mention my, my, my friend, his name is Zach Hilditch, and he's, the film he did was 1922. That's on Netflix. Ah, uh, great. I'll have yeah. to watch it. Yeah, you did a good job. Any other remind me ofs for you? Uh, I've got a couple of others. Uh, one is, it's, it's hardly a reminds me of because it's quite a straight, um, steel, not a steel uh, reference to this. It's another short story or novella by um, Henry James, which is called The Beast in the Jungle. And episode nine is actually called The Beast in the Jungle. So they're not hiding the reference at all. And the essentially the storyline is, is that of a, a guy who thinks he's been fated to have some catastrophe happen in his life. And he meets this woman who intoxicates him and he falls in love with her, but he's not wanting, he's afraid to get too involved, afraid to marry because he, you know, thinks it's um, doomed, you know, uh, in exactly the same way, like it's exactly the same way as Danny is sort of kind of pushing her, her gardener lover away um, all the time. Uh, that, that novella really moved me at the time. I just bloody loved it. Um, so the fact that the fact that it was reworked in this part of me really liked, mm. but the other part thought, no, I was, I was on another journey. <laughs> like I was on another journey for seven episodes. You've already <laughs> taken me off script in episode eight. Yes. I don't need another, another one in episode nine. Like yeah. I could do a whole season of that story. It's a great story, but not just inserted at the end when I really wanted other things to pay off. Yeah, it's, it's, well, that, that novella sounds great. Sounds, yeah, mm. sounds it's really quick, good. It's a quick read and it's 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 worth it. You just reminded me, uh, there's The Changeling is probably one of just the classic older uh, haunted house films that people reference. So that one definitely popped into my mind while I was watching this. What's um, the premise of that? I think It's been a little while since I've seen it, but it's, it's, it's a classic... Um, you know, of people living in a house where there's mm. a spirit. And that one a little bit, if I'm trying to remember now, it's, it's a little bit more like The Exorcist in that you've got like a, you've got a, a man that kind of can do something about trying to get rid of the evil. And it's more of his fight to to remove the evil from the house. Again, it's been a while since I've seen it, but definitely popped into mind. Uh, oh, we'll wrap it up so shortly. But yeah, one that we've looked at recently, and I think I've given it, as a reference for other things is I'm thinking of ending things. Uh, really? Ah. Because in both, it's quite a good one really because in both the the characters are trapped in uh, in a memory loop. So they're, um, they're just shaking around between different times and different memories, uh, which 
completely different genres, completely different executions, but essentially the same idea. Last one for me is American Horror Story. So it's just another anthology mm. series, but in particular, season one has, is just an old creepy manor style house filled with different ghosts. And, uh, you know, I, the idea of all the different ghosts that live in different rooms and parts of the the building that you might come across and each have their own backstory is mm. is cool and i think it can be done really well even though i don't think it was done that well in this because you know we half the ghosts just to sort of like side notes in the end i think that's a really good one because that that that's probably the closest of any as it's to, to what it is and and perhaps the fact that american horror story exists is one of the things that maybe leaves this one a bit wanting because there's nothing surprising about 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 that yeah exactly and and the success of american horror story i think we're up to like episode oh, sorry season nine or something now we've you know is what's probably made shows like this possible mm. if that hadn't gone gangbusters the way it had you know it, might, it would be a lot harder to get one of these up and running yeah that's true mm. last one for me and that's it um, and that is a really quick mention of the opening titles uh, where you've got all the, the pictures and it starts, you know, all the paintings. They've got yes. their young faces and then they sort of dissolve into their old faces. Uh, and that reminded me of the picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde, um, a play that I, I might even have mentioned that one before too. I don't think so. Okay. Well, uh, that is a killer play. So highly recommend Uh but the the should I spoil this for you? I don't Go know. for it. Go for okay. it. Okay, if someone hasn't hasn't watched or read the picture of Dorian Gray, don't listen. Uh, this guy gets a, a, a picture taken, uh, a portrait done of of him, and basically as his he he becomes a um, he starts doing evil deeds in his life, but his his face remains beautiful. So he he has his youth, but the painting. Uh, gets old. Ooh. So he, he puts it in the cupboard, never looks at it, um, and then after years looks at it and it's, it's just really decrepit. And That's a it, cool premise. It's, a, it's, it's one of the best prem premises, um, but it seems a very clear, uh, reminds me for the titles. Wow. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I'm not familiar with the play, but that's a great premise. I think we're done. That I was, think we're um, done. That was nine episodes um, crammed in one. I think we did okay. Yeah, I think we missed tons of stuff in this little mm. wrap-up. But then again, who cares? And we did all right, I think. I think <laughs> we got the main points in. Cool. Well, and people should go and watch it for themselves and see what they think. Because, uh, you know, um, there are things to like and not like. And I think overall, people are generally liking this, having a look at some of the reviews. So, And you know what? Of if you if you're trying to find something to watch, I would still recommend watch it. Like it's it's an enjoyable ride. Um, what else yeah. are you going to do when you're locked down? Yeah, although we are we are in, there are no la lack of amazing shows at the moment. We are pretty spoiled for choice right now. Well, until next week. All right, cool. Catch you later. See ya.